Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design, episode 150. It feels like milestone, so I wanted to bring you something very very special today. And I really think we have. It's hard to pick a favorite podcast, but definitely this has got to be in the top five for me. Listen to these wise words from our guest. As soon as you change the way you price, you create more room for you to do your best work and therefore you deliver more value. It becomes this virtuous circle. We want to be part of that virtuous circle, don't we? Yes, we do. And you are in the right place. I'm Kimberly Selden. I am an interior design professional just like you, and I had to stop myself today from going down the drain with client questions. Do you know how sometimes you just hit the wall and you have nothing left and you know your response will be curt or short-sighted or put somebody off? Yes, that's the point I'm at. So I thought, you know what I can do? I can go and listen to the conversation I had with Blair Enns and record the introduction and remind myself that I do not have to do this very complicated hard work by myself. I have all of you there. I'm positive you are going to be vibrating with energy as you listen to our conversation. Blair is a name you're going to get to know. I've done some coaching with him. Those of you who attended the conference met Shannon Lee, who works with Blair at Win Without Pitching. We are going to continue the conversation we started with another guest, Tim Williams. And before we launch into the episode, I'm going to set some context because following Tim's episode, we were flooded with Business of Design member requests and podcast listener requests saying, should I dump hourly fees immediately and go to flat fees? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. There are two viable ways to price your business. One is an hourly fee method, and one is a flat fee method. They both work. Each has advantages, and each has disadvantages. An hourly fee contract has the advantage that it poses no risk to you, the interior design professional, because you bill for your expertise in increments of time, and the client is expected to pay those hours. Let's put aside for a moment that you have issues if you're listening to this and you're not a member of Business of Design. You might have some issues invoicing clients on time and getting paid for all of those hours. We're going to put that aside. That's something that we can fix immediately for you. But let's assume that you record carefully every single month the time you spent on projects, which represents your expertise, and then you bill the client and you get paid. The argument against hourly fees, one of the arguments against hourly fees is that the fee itself is so low, it just covers overhead. But of course, that's absurd. You would never set an hourly fee that just covers overhead. So I will state emphatically that an hourly fee contract is the safest approach for those of you who are just starting out, for those of you who love it and it's working perfectly for your clients, and for those of you who haven't yet developed the systems and protocols you need, which translate into confidence, which will allow you to ask for the big number. 
Because let's be honest, when you are switching to a flat fee contract, you have to be able to ask for the big number. If you can't, you are signing yourself up for days, weeks, months, more than a year of working for little or no money, feeling bitter, angry, and resentful. But ultimately, we are the ones that put ourselves in that position. You can never be profitable if you are quoting a flat fee contract at a low number. Never. Now, the advantage, of course, of a flat fee contract is that you get paid up front all at once. You don't have to worry about it. You know what your cash flow is. You know how much money you're bringing in this month, and you get paid up front. But we all know there are a whole lot of opportunities for misstep between the time you meet the client and the time you quote the fee. Are you ready for flat fees? You are if you've implemented Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, because then we can give you a few tweaks. We can give you the tools, the protocols, the systems, even the language, so you can get the big number. So remove completely from your mind that one is right and one is wrong. Don't get into arguments on Facebook about that. Both work, but both require courage. And I said with the hourly fee contract, the risk is completely on the client. The designer is going to get paid all their hours. So with a flat fee contract, just for a minute, think about where's the risk. Right. The risk is on you. Because if you don't quote the right number, you will not be getting paid for most of the time you spend on a project. So we're going to have this conversation with Blair a guy that I admire and respect and even would love to have come back and do some more teaching for business of design. But Blair's background is marketing and branding. That's a very different world where the flat fees they're talking about are a million dollars. Most of us aren't asking for a million dollar flat fee, right? But for most of us, asking for $50,000 is pretty difficult. Confidence comes from systems and strategies. It does not come from yoga self-help books, or seminars on getting to know your self-worth. No, not for me. No. I've done all of those things and they're wonderful, but confidence comes from having a specific procedure to follow and being able to say our policy is, period. We will hear from Blair that the hourly fee you choose should be generous and large enough so you can do your best work. Those are literally words from Business of Design's website. If you've never read our mission statement, here it is. As interior design professionals, we love our work because it matters so much. We want our clients to get the best every single time because it's going to affect how they live for years to come. But doing our best work isn't possible if we can't dedicate ourselves to it. And we can't dedicate ourselves to it if it doesn't earn us a living. That was my story once. I found it hard to keep my passion and creativity alive while I struggled with managing clients and managing trades and billables and invoicing and collecting. I finally had to do something about it and I hired the best business coaching money could buy and created the systems and strategies that run my business. The systems and strategies we teach at Business of Design. And Business of Design Our learning, our teachings, our community is for every passionate, creative interior design professional who feels blocked 
by those same challenges. Our mission is to liberate your talent and show you how to run a business that supports you and empowers you. We want you to love your work again. And thank you to each and every one of you who supports Business of Design through paid membership. Monthly and annual membership allows us to provide content like this podcast. It allows us to be extremely selective about sponsorship, and it allows us to host live events, many of which are free to the community. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. We're really glad you're here. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Now, you lucky listener, you're about to meet Blair Enns, and he's on a mission to change the way creative services are bought and sold. We are going to have two conversations with Blair. We cut this into two parts because it is so meaty and so rich. Blair is the founder of Win Without Pitching, and I had the opportunity to go to New York and do a positioning exercise or seminar, rather, with Blair and Shannon and loved it. And uh, with Blair's permission, we'll be sharing some of that content with the Business of Design community as well. He's also the author of two books, Win Without Pitching, The Manifesto, and Pricing Creativity, A Guide to Profit Beyond the Billable Hour. I know you want to check out Blair at Win Without Pitching, so that's winwithoutpitching.com and more information about Blair and the work he does in the show notes. Let's jump into the conversation. Episode 150, Pricing Creativity. Blair Ends, thank you so much for taking time to do Business of Design's podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. And you are somewhere outside of Vancouver in an unnamed destination so that we can't find you and the government can't <laughs> find you. Is that what's happening there? I do a podcast with David C. Baker, and I always tease him that he lives on 61 acres on the top of a hill so he can see the government coming, and that joke really works for him. It suits his personality. I'm not that type of person. I'm not hiding from the law or the government, but I suppose I am hiding from people. I, do, I will name the location. I live in Caslow, which is a, a village of less than 1,000 people, a short 11-hour drive from Vancouver. Lovely. I, I'm, that is on my bucket list of a destination to explore more, British Columbia. I've never been to Tofino. I've never been to Victoria. Um, anyway. Oh, those, wow. Yeah. Right? Come on out for a visit. Don't invite me twice. <laughs> oh, and uh, I should say also, thank you so much for sending over a copy of Win Without Pitching. Um, as you know, I've taken the positioning seminar and done some coaching with Shannon and made some really important strategic 
changes to my business, which is exciting. And anytime we talk about value-based fees, we end up inundated with emails and calls from interior design professionals who think suddenly they have to abandon all their current business practices, throw everything out and start with value-based fees. And our position has been and remains vehemently that unless you have the systems and protocols in place that you need and the confidence to back you up to get the big fees you need, if you're going value-based or flat fee-based, it is far better to stay with hourly fees. And that's particularly true if you're new in business. So let's just launch right in with this question. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy at all. I think, you know, the advice that you should be acting on early in your um, career, in your practice as, a, as an entrepreneur, is, uh, is not necessarily the same device, advice that you should be acting on later in your career. And pricing is one of those things where you could just dive, like the highest form of pricing is pricing based on the value to the client where you are completely untethered from time. Um, and as you're pointing out, well, you're, you're never really completely untethered because your time is a constraint, especially if you're a solo practitioner or you run a small firm, there's only so much time that you have to solve your client's problems, especially in the beginning when it's just you, you only have so much time. So it really is a constraint and therefore it's not a big mistake to price based on that. But if you skip that entirely, um, you're still going to get the valuable uh, feedback you need on how long it takes you to do things. You're just, you just run the risk of, of underpricing jobs. But as you would probably attest to, Kimberly, early on in your business, you're probably going to grossly underprice your jobs anyway. Yeah, and for some people, you know, 20 years in, 25 years in, for sure. In fact, if I hadn't hired a business coach, I'm positive if I were still in the industry and not working at a Starbucks instead, I would be undercharging to this day. Like there's no fairy godmother who's going to come along and give you permission to charge for the creativity you bring to a project and then for the muscle as the producer you bring to the project when you implement, right? No one's coming for you to tell you that good news. No, and and your that early early pr pricing success for an entrepreneur. So whether you're an independent uh, interior designer or some other form of entrepreneur, but a particular a designer or a creative, where where you're selling like these abstractions, the contents of your head, visions, creativity, etc., or even just advice. Um, I think uh, in in the oh shit, I've completely forgotten my point. <laughs> <laughs> what you know, was the I'm leaving question that again? In. I'm totally leaving this in because you just like, you're like, no, you just threw me under the bus with your first remark. So this stays. Um, We're both hacking uh, and yeah. wheezing and forgetting our spots. This I mean, is oh my tragic. God, we're in trouble. Why would anyone listen <laughs> yeah, to this I was, podcast? I was just thinking that. Why would anybody take advice from either of us? Right. Everybody just go have a life. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. Yeah, I, awesome. Great. Okay. Well, okay. I know I have a 29 million questions to ask. Okay. Okay. So number one, uh, and I'll just like complete non sequitur, but what is a commodity and what's the danger of us thinking of ourselves as a, con a commodity, even if we don't call it that? So a commodity is, and I had to look, I've been using the term for years. I had to look it up when I was writing the book. And it, it, one of the things that surprised me is there's no real universal definition of what a commodity is. There are kind of symptoms that describe a commodity. So a commodity is, but generally speaking, we understand what it is. A commodity is something 
that you can get from multiple, first of all, it's, it's, it's fungible. So what I buy from you, if I'm the buyer, what I buy from you, if I don't buy it from you, I can buy it from somebody else. It's kind of repla- it's a replaceable thing. Um, and that's mistake number one as, as uh, creative entrepreneurs thinking that our product is fungible, that somebody can buy exactly the same thing from us as somebody else. Uh, another aspect of, of uh, or characteristic of a commodity is that it's available in many, many different places. And yet another one is because it's fungible and available in many different places, so readily available and substitutable, it a commodity does not command any sort of price premium. Therefore, if there's a shift in the market, if your competitors decide to launch a price war and lower the prices, everybody essentially has to follow. And the way you get out of uh, the commodity trap is you somehow seek to add value to your commodity as a way of charging more. And the greatest example of doing that that I think of is when I was a kid, I grew up eating sunflower seeds. And there were like I don't know, well, like just a couple of main providers, but you would like you buy this bag of sunflower seeds and they'd be salty and you'd spit the seeds out all over the sidewalk in the summer. And it was they were always just cheap, cheap, cheap. I didn't buy them because they were cheap, but and then along along comes this brand called Spitz, S-P-I-T-Z. And I don't know if you ever I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Was it Canadian or American? I think it was probably Canadian. So and they did two things to add value to what it was essentially a commodity. And a sunflower seed is effectively, it's an agricultural commodity. You buy them in bulk, you put them in a package, you sell them. Um, they, first, they added flavors beyond just salt. So you could get different flavors, number one. And number two, they put them in a resealable plastic bag when previous to that, you can only get them in foil bags. And then they essentially tripled the price and sales went nuts. Um, and I don't know what the figures were, but I, all of a sudden they were from nobody to everybody in the sunflower seed game. And they probably still are today in Canada. So what's the difference in the, how did they add, add value? They changed the flavor. They changed the packaging. Oh, and the name. And now, you can't and, ignore the name. Like, oh, yeah. My kids the, would right, have demanded right, right. those just because the of the branding, name. the name. But a resealable bag, different flavors, new name. And now you're charging multiples of what you were able to charge before. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, what is a commodity? No, it's a, it's a really good uh, answer because I understand what a commodity is in terms of my husband's in the lumber business. He sells white pine. So I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I bristle at the idea that as an interior design professional, I am interchangeable with another interior design professional. My fear, however, is consumers think I am. And your story about Spitz answers the next follow-up question is, what am I going to do to make sure consumers don't treat me as a commodity? I'm going to add my spin on it. I'm going to figure out what my resealable bag and my new flavors and my fancy name are, right? Yeah, you're going to do that. And you're also going to do, so there's, uh, in negotiating, there's this idea of real power and implied power. And real, plow, real power, the, from the buyer's point of view, their power, in the real sense of the word, comes from the availability of substitutes, their best alternative to hiring you. So if they have no alternative, in their eyes, if they have no alternatives to hiring you, you have lots of lots of power to affect how your services are bought and sold, how they're priced, how the engagement will work, et cetera. The other source of power is known as implied power. And implied power is really just how you conduct yourself. Do you show up with confidence? Do you have a self-belief 
that's evident in how you interact with the client that your what you have to offer is more valuable than everybody else and that is worth a ton and um if if that is true that half of it is this implied oh, power yeah. we can that we can take care of we can change that yeah and so implied power is all about yourself so the rabbit the thing i point out what i make earlier is if i looked at um people who were let's say the same type of design professional, the same distance into their career one year. And I looked at their pricing success in terms of like how much of their time they're actually capturing, how much money they're making, whether they're upside down on their pricing or not. So just their general pricing success. I can tell you what the difference would be between the person who is really successful and the person who is <clears throat> struggling. And it's nothing to do with the quality of the work. It's it, the difference would be one thing self-esteem that would be it so that that idea of implied power just really comes from the sense of do you see yourself as the expert do you see yourself as worthy do you see yourself as having something that the client uh, should be willing to pay for if you believe in yourself and you show up believing in yourself you will make so much more money than the people who don't believe in themselves. And it's really easy for us to sit here and say that and talk about it, but that begs the question, well, how do you, how do you begin to believe in yourself? Like you, my parents failed me on that part. Yeah, uh, I think all our parents failed us. Every creative professional I know has, would likely fall into the category of, yeah, I did not wake up with that gene. But what I will say as a personal journey that I developed the self-esteem I wasn't born with it. It's not my default wiring, but I developed the self-esteem by having systems and procedures and protocol that stood behind me when I faced those clients and I became that person. I have today, I have loads of self-esteem and I can walk in and I can command the prices, but you're so right. I see people who've been doing it 20, 30 years and they, they don't have the self-esteem and they're looking for the magic pill and there isn't one. The magic pill is you've got to have everything you need behind you to make sure you can do your job well. Yeah. And you, I never really thought of it this kind of explicitly before, but as you pointed out, it helps to know what to do. Yeah. It helps to know <laughs> what to say after hello. <laughs> Right, right. And too many of us lead with the chin. It's like, yeah, I've only been doing this a couple of years. Or, well, I just work out of my basement. I don't really have an office. Or, yeah, I don't really have an assistant. I'm just, you know, busy with the kids. Like, it's not exactly the most powerful stance as you're about to negotiate. I agree. Yeah. And they often lead with preferences and inclinations instead of policies as well. So, like, it's our policy we get paid in advance or 50% of the fee portion of the engagement in advance or whatever, like what you figure out what the decisions are that kind of always trip you up and you always find difficult and just make it a policy and state that up front with confidence. And you'll be surprised how clients when they hear, oh, it's a policy. Okay, I'll accept your policy. People don't push back on policies. Even though if you're a solopreneur, the, the obvious question is, well, like, it's your company. It's just you. You made the policy. Surely you can bend the policy. That never, I promise you, it never comes up. People respect policy. Uh, my standard response is our policy is. And even if I work by myself, our policy is because as, as an interior design professional, at least, I don't know about other professions, but we are, are never alone. We have suppliers and retailers and trades and uh, we just always have a team 
behind us, no matter how small the job is. So our policy means everybody on Team Kimberly is going to follow this policy. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. And there's don't be shy about it. Lead with policy. And as you say, not the chin. Oh, man, it's really hard for me to leave this conversation right here. But then again, what a lot of information happened in a short amount of time. But the information is useless if we don't apply it. So I would like, with your permission, to give you some homework for the next two weeks. I want you just to notice, to observe, to consider those moments in the project, before, during, and after the project, actually, where you don't feel confident, where you don't feel powerful, where sometimes, in fact, you feel disempowered, or you feel scared, you feel frightened. Just notice them. And the second part of the homework is use the words, our policy is once a day. Try to squeeze that language into conversations with clients or with staff or with trades once a day for the next two weeks. And then when you come back for episode 152, Blair is going to share with us something he calls his Jedi mantra. And if it doesn't blow your mind wide open, I do not know what will. But it will be so much more powerful if you do your homework in the next couple of weeks. So just pay attention, consider, look at, observe all of those times in your professional life where you don't feel powerful, where you don't feel confident, where you need more of those things, okay? We're going to do this together. Our policy is we're going to do this together. Have a fabulous week, everybody. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today 